haven't you enjoyed the series on Sun Stand Still Faith? Wow, I mean, uh, it just seemed to be such a timely message for Coastline over the last six weeks. I know it's affected the way Joan and I pray together. It's affected the type of prayers that we prayed. And uh, we've actually got some stories of some pretty cool things that have come out of those times of prayers over the last few weeks. And I know many of you do as well. So Pastor Jason wrapped that series up last Sunday, and he'll be starting something new next week. And uh, this message today is sort of a bridge from that. I've titled it Fearless Confidence, and it's somewhat along that line, but hopefully uh, uh, pointing us in a little bit different direction this morning. I want to tie together Joshua with the story we're going to be looking at in the New Testament in just a couple of moments. And here's the tie-in. Remember... In the first couple of chapters of Joshua where God is saying to him, Hey, Moses is dead. He's with me now. You are the leader. Um, you're going to take these people into the land of promise that's been delayed 40 years now. And uh, this Joshua, this is what I want you to remember. Be strong and be courageous. He repeats that again and again. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong. And there's a reason why those two words were so important that he wanted to just emblazon that under the mind of Joshua. And the reason is because they're going to be facing some serious opposition to be able to do what God had told them to do. It was going to, I mean, it was, it was a way to counteract intimidation. It was a way to deal with discouragement in those moments when things weren't going as they should. Because if you'll remember back when Moses first attempted to lead the people in, he sent out the 12 spies, right? And they came back with their report, and he said, hey, honestly, it's an amazing place. Look, it takes two people to carry one stem of grapes on a pole between them. So I've never seen that in my lifetime. I can only imagine that there's some pretty, uh, uh, some pretty good soil in a place like that. And you're going, everything about it is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's exactly where we want to live. But there's, there's a couple of big problems. One is... The place is filled with walled cities, and I'm talking walls so thick you can drive a chariot around the top. There's no way we can penetrate those walls. And beside that, they've got these giants in the land. We feel like grasshoppers up alongside these guys. They're just going to squash us. I would rather not be there than be dead, and those are our two choices right now. So they all backed off from what God had told them to do. So guess what's changed in the last 40 years since this first attempt? Absolutely nothing. Same walled cities, same giants. Now it's Joshua's turn to go up against this formidable foe. And God is saying to him, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. I don't know what it is that you may be facing that's intimidating. It may be exactly what God wants you to do, but you know that you are powerless to accomplish that on your own without his intervention. And that's what this is all about it ties these two stories together. I want to take you to Acts chapter 4. It's a pretty amazing story um, about what happened in the uh, early life of the church through the uh, apostles. We're going to pick it up kind of in the middle, and uh, we'll fill in a few gaps as we go along. But starting at verse 23, as soon as Peter and John were let go, they went to their friends and told them what the high priests and religious leaders had said. So let's just talk about that for a second. What the high priests and the religious leaders had said was, we're going to kill you if you talk about Jesus one more time in public. And they had 
the capability of doing that, and they weren't bluffing. They were absolutely prepared to follow up on that. When it says they were let go, what happened was a miracle had happened the previous day. Peter and John used that as a platform to talk about Jesus and salvation through Christ. And these religious leaders were highly offended about it. I mean, it's happening right in the temple area uh, on their space. So they arrested them, kept them overnight, then brought them before the, the court, the Sanhedrin, the next day and threatened them before they let them go. So that's all the background in verse 23. We're moving on to verse 24. Hearing the report, they, that being the disciples now that they've returned to, lifted their voices in a wonderful harmony in prayer. Here's the prayer. Strong God, you made heaven and earth, and sea, and everything in them. By the Holy Spirit, you spoke through the mouth of your servant and our father David. And this is what David wrote. Why the big noise nations? Why the mean plots peoples? I mean, this sounds a little confusing. How does this fit into the whole picture? But it'll be cleared a few minutes, I hope. Earth's leaders push for position. Potentates meet for summit toss. He's still quoting from David, the Psalms. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. And then, end quote, that's uh, the first two verses of Psalm 2. And now they're back to their, trip, their prayer. For, in fact, they did meet. And he's seeing the fulfillment of it. They're saying, Herod and Pontius Pilate with nations and people, even Israel itself, met in this very city to plot against your holy son Jesus, the one you made Messiah, to carry out the plans you long ago set in motion. And now they're at it again. So take care of their threats and give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message as you stretch out your hand to us and healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. While they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's Word with fearless confidence. I, I chose the message translation just for that phrase because I wanted to use it as a title. In your translation, the word may be boldness. It is in most translations, which is also a great a, a great word to translate the meaning here, but I love fearless confidence. I think that that's where many of us are today. I'm standing up here talking not because I'm a model of fearless confidence, because I need fearless confidence, as did the disciples. They were simply, this was their prayer. They weren't, they weren't stating anything about themselves other than they needed God to give them fearless confidence in the view of the fact that they were attempting to do what they knew they should do, but were in danger of failing in doing it unless God showed up and did something that they could not do in their own strength. I think uh, this little story kind of organizes itself into four parts, and I'm going to make them my four points this morning as we talk about how do we get there to that point of fearless confidence. First thing, Fearless confidence comes from choosing who you will believe. Just a quick review of 23 and 24. As soon as Peter and John were let go, they went to their friends and told them what the high priests and religious leaders had told them. 24. Hearing the report, they lifted their voices in a wonderful harmony and prayer. Strong God, you made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. So, there's two things going on here. One is you got the religious leaders who are saying one thing, spewing out these threats, death threats to them. And on the other hand, 
They're reflecting on the voice of God who's capable of doing anything, and they've got to choose who are they going to believe. In fact, so much so that while they're in this session with the Sanhedrin and they're hearing these threats telling them that they cannot speak any more publicly about Jesus, which was now their whole mission, their whole life. If they didn't have that, they didn't have anything. And Peter says to them, by the way, you guys are the experts, so you know God and you know the Bible and you know religion, and so you tell us what you think is proper. Should we, if you're saying something that contradicts what God is saying to us, should we obey you or should we obey God? I mean, obviously, their mind was already made up. They had decided no matter what it cost them, if it cost them their lives, they were going to act on what God had said. In fact, they went so far as to say, we can't help ourselves. You know, we've seen this stuff. We've seen Jesus crucified. We've seen him resurrected. We've seen the healings and the miracles. We can't help but talk about what we've seen here because we know that Jesus is the Savior. He's the one that you need to put your faith in as well. Sometimes it's just about making a decision as to which voices you're going to pay attention to. Uh, years ago, when uh, Joan and I were much younger and young in ministry or pastoring in, in Ohio, and uh, we had family was growing. I think we had four kids at that point. They were all young, and, and we needed a car, and we had no money. <clears throat> and... Uh, so trying to decide what to do about that. These kids are all squashed into the back seat. You know, you crossed the line. You're on my side. Dad, tell them, tell them to move over. So we're going through all that stuff. And, uh, and this was before the day of uh, minivans and SUVs, right? So what did you do back in that day when you had six people that you had to get into one car? You bought a station wagon. Remember those? And uh, so that was my dream, to own a full-size station wagon. And I had the one picked out that I, I really, really wanted. It was a Buick, and they called it an estate wagon. It just sounded so nice. And uh, not only that, I knew exactly the one. Uh, there was, there was, they had a navy blue um, wagon, and it had the, uh, the wood grain siding on it and on the back. Remember that? sweet machine. I just, I wanted that car so bad, and there was no way that we could afford one until I figured a way. They came out with a model that had a diesel engine in it. So, like, this car was built in the early 80s when GM first started building diesel engines, and uh, whoever engineered these things, it was a disaster. Those things, I tell you, they were noisy and they, they spewed black soot out the tailpipes. Remember those? And worst part was they had, a, they had a terrible track record. I mean, by the time they were two years old, the engines were all blowing up, and they had to be replaced. So um, I found one that was used but still in really good shape, looked nice, and it had a diesel engine in it, and they were selling cheap by then. So here's my plan. Um, I, I went to the dealer, and I made a deal, and, and he had a $400 warranty where I could get that engine replaced with a gasoline engine if and when, which it inevitably would, blow up. So I figured, all right, I can afford this. I can buy this car cheap, a lot cheaper than what it really was worth, and for $400, I got my problem fixed. Good to go. 
I'll never forget the day. Joan hated this car. She came home one day and she said, I will never, ever drive that car again. <laughs> the reason she had gone to the grocery store. We, this was mid-Ohio, right? It was Amish country, so there's horses and buggies all over the place. You even, even places that tie up your horses at the grocery store and other places. She said, yeah, I went to the grocery store. I scared the horses. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me because this car is so loud and obnoxious. I will never, ever get in it again. So I was actually happy with the day that the motor blew up because <laughs> I figured, here we go. You know, this is... I, I got my plan all worked out. So I called the dealer where I bought it and told him what had happened. And he said, no problem, I got you covered. I'll send a tow truck over. We'll haul it in, and uh, I'll replace that with a gas engine. So I wanted to make sure I was covered. So I started asking some specific questions about the warranty and what it took to get it fulfilled and stuff like that. And uh, he said, don't worry about it. He said, look, like he said, uh, um, certain, yeah, there are certain specific things that have to be wrong with that engine in order for the warranty to cover. But he said, I, I got you. He said, if it's not broke where it needs to be broke, I'll break it for you. He said, we're good. And, uh, and he said, besides that, I got one sitting here in my garage right now. It's broke enough uh, for this warranty. So I'll just send him this motor if yours isn't in bad enough shape for it. So I got a problem. Uh, this dealer, the reason why I went to him and bought a car is because he'd been on national TV uh, with a, a Christian station talking about how God had blessed his business, he had prospered, he's given all this money to ministry and missions. You know, he's got a national reputation as just being a godly man in business, and God reward him for all this stuff. And I'm going, the guy's a crook. <laughs> he, made his, he made his money cheating an insurance company. And the more we talked, I got sick to my stomach, and I thought, this is just wrong. I, I can't do this. And uh, finally, I found myself at a point because I knew what I, I knew that our situation, even though that motor had to be replaced, didn't meet the requirements that that insurance covered. So I talked it over with Joan, and we made a decision. We made a decision that we would lose the $400 that we spent on that warranty. And in addition, we'd spend another $1,500 to have somebody else put the other men, the engine in that we felt was right. So I know what you want to hear the rest of the story is that the next day I went to the mailbox and there was a check in there to cover it all, right? It didn't happen that way, unfortunately. We took the hit for the whole 1900 It was a sacrifice uh, for our family to do it. And I never did get that money back in any lump sum. But what did I get from it? I got confidence. And my confidence was... I, I lived up to my own conscience. I did what I felt was the right thing to do. I, and that's what happens every time when you choose God over maybe a, a more convenient path. Sometimes it's just the little things in our lives, but it's that, it's that built-in decision, I'm, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to listen to what He's saying to me. I'm not, I'm not going to position myself to try to solve all my own problems, even if it means cheating somebody in the process of doing it. Let's just go God's way, and, and he, he will work it out. And uh, I think that's the, one of the first things we lessons from this story is you just choose who you're going to believe. It would have been a lot easier for Peter and John to say, well, God, you know, we tried and it just didn't work out. These guys are going to kill us. Our families need us. Okay, please, you know, so um, sorry, can't do it. No, they just determined we're going to listen to God. No matter what happens to us, we're going to obey him. Fearless confidence just comes from choosing who you're going to believe.
Second thing that we see here is that fearless confidence comes from remembering that God is never surprised. It didn't catch him off beat at all. And, and I love how this story plays out. Verses 25 to 28, by the, by the Holy Spirit, you spoke through the mouth of your servant. Remember, we're in the prayer now, and they're, they're saying this to God. And our, your servant, our father David, said this, direct quote from Psalm 2, Why the big noise nation? Why the mean plots peoples? Earth's leaders push for position, potentates, that is kings, meet for summit talks, the God deniers, the God, the Messiah defiers. So he's defining this group of people that are playing into the story. And then they say, this is exactly what's going on right now. In fact, they did meet. We got two Romans, Herod and Pontius Pilate, who were both governors in the region and hated each other's guts. They were political opponents each wanting the other's turf. But they got together on this issue. And then we've got Caiaphas and the high priests and the, and the whole religious group. And believe it or not, these people, these people were bitter enemies with one another. And yet they all got together to accomplish one thing, figure out how to kill Jesus. And, and these guys are, are looking there saying, you know what? Psalm 2 said exact, this is exactly what's going to happen, and we're just watching it unfold before our eyes. And look at verse 28. To carry out the plans you long ago set in motion. God wasn't surprised. These are real uh, historical uh, characters that we're talking about. David was a real king. We know that he lived about 1,000 B.C. Jesus obviously uh, turned the calendar from B.C. to A.D. So it was about 1,000 years prior to this prayer that David wrote these words, and they're just reflecting back and going, oh my gosh, you saw this coming a thousand years ago. It's in writing, and now we're seeing it unfold before our own eyes. That plan you put in place a thousand years ago, God's never surprised. Just, just try to imagine this in your own situation. What if what you're going through right now that's causing so much stress in your life is something God was thinking about a thousand years ago today. I mean, it was so different then. There were no cars, airplanes, cell phones, computers, wristwatches. I mean, that TV, any of that stuff, I mean, all, all of that stuff was not even thought about by a human being at that time. In fact, I think if you project back about a thousand years and you got European roots, you'd be living in a feudal system somewhere. And, you know, there's a castle and there's a king and there's serfs and, uh, and then you got a walled city and, and you grew your crops in there so it protect you from all the uh, uh, barbarians that want to come and kill you and steal your stuff. I mean, it was that kind of a setting. So, 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 so different we can't imagine ourselves living in that way but back then when none of this existed god would have already been thinking about what's going on in your life today that's that's what this story is about god wasn't surprised by any of it then we have to believe he's not surprised by any of it today the other thing i love about this is that there was something in the bible that directly addressed the situation that they were living out and that's what uh, Jason keeps saying to us, read your Bible. Remember, get tired of that. Read your Bible every week. Read your Bible. Why? Well, because there's stuff in there that's going to help you today. You, you know how to get to the point where 
where the Bible comes to life for you, here's how you do it. You find those few verses in there that speak directly to what you're living in this moment. It's in there. Well, how? It's a big book. How am I going to find that in there? Well, here's how you do it. Look at the first phrase, by the Holy Spirit. That's his job. He knows you. He knows this book. He knows how to bring you to that place. It happens in a variety of ways. But that's his back. Jesus even said it this way. When he was getting ready to leave them, leave his disciples and go to heaven, he said, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. But when I leave here, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I have been able to be with you. Here's the difference. He's going to be in you. And he will guide you into all truth. He's going to tell you what I would tell you if I were here, but he's going to do it internally. He's going to lead you and he's going to direct you in every way. He knows exactly what God wants to say to you in your moment. And he will get that word if you're looking for him and waiting for him to speak to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. God isn't surprised. He's got a word for you. This is one thing I love about uh, Coastline and Jason's ministry because I know from observation that he's praying every week, God, just give me a message that's going to speak to the people where they are, what's going to meet the need of the moment. And God does that. Sometimes God does it by by making him live through something that uh, will force him to be thinking about what does God's word have to say to what's going on in my life right now. And as he lives that out, that message formulates. I mean, you've heard it over the last several weeks. He said almost every time, hey, I'm preaching to myself. You guys get to listen in. And he literally was doing that. It happens again and again. That's how the Holy Spirit does this thing. He brings us to a place in life. The scripture, he brings us to the Scripture that applies to that place, and then it becomes life-giving to us as we understand God knew about this moment in my life a long, long time ago. He's already addressed it, and now he's showing me that he's there for me. So that's the second thing. Remember, God isn't surprised by what's going on. The third way that we get to fearless confidence is it comes from believing in supernatural favor. Back to, 30, to verses 29 and 30. So they're, they're praying. Now they're at it again. Take care of their threats. Give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message. Verse 30. As you stretch out your hand, this is the part, as you stretch out your hand to us in healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant Jesus. All right, we've got to back up to the third chapter of Acts because the story actually begins there. And it was exactly that. It was a, mir- it was a miracle. It was a wonder. It was, it was an amazing act of God's power that took place. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was their daily practice. There was a prayer meeting uh, there at the Temple Mount uh, every afternoon at 3. So uh, as was their practice, on their way, uh, they passed by this guy who was always positioned right there by one of the gates, um, he was lame. He, he had to beg for a living. So he was asking for money, as he did every day. And this time, as Peter and John went by, apparently he addressed them directly and asked them for something. And they stopped, and they looked at him, and Peter pulled his pockets out and said, Listen, I, silver and gold have I now. I don't have any money to give you, man. But I do have something for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter, he didn't, Peter just didn't turn his back and walk away to let him deal with that. He'd actually leaned down to the guy, took his hand, 
and started pulling him up to his feet. And as he did that, Peter's faith was somehow transferred into this guy, and he started to believe that it was going to happen. He made a little effort, and soon he's on his feet, standing there for the first time in his 40 years, actually standing on his feet. He starts to move around a little bit, realizes he's got mobility, walks some, and then he starts jumping up and down just to see if he can do it. And pretty soon, he's just praising God because he knows the miracle of his life has just taken place. So they go on in to the prayer service at the temple, and they can't get this guy to shut up. He's so excited. Pretty soon a crowd gathers around. So Peter and John see this is an opportunity to talk about what's going on. They just said to the people, hey, don't look at us. We're not miracle workers. We didn't do this. But God did it in order to honor and glorify his son Jesus. You know, we, we crucified him, but he's alive again. And he did this miracle just so you will know that God has sent him as your Savior. So they're preaching this message, and then pretty soon the temple police gather around, and religious, they circle them, they, they arrest them, they take them off, throw them into jail for the night. And now we are, here they are praying again, God, do another miracle, do another miracle. I love the way uh, Kathy Mateka uh, likes to say, just, we're just asking God to show up and show off. Do another miracle because that's where the fearless confidence comes from. It's just seeing God do what we know we could never do on our own. And when our oldest daughter, Melissa, was 16, I remember uh, standing at the high school track watching her. For some reason, she didn't want that athletic, but she, for some reason she wanted to run track that year. So she signed up for track. And uh, I was there after school one day, just standing by the fence, uh, watching her. And she came around that corner, uh, tall, lanky, beautiful girl, blonde hair, just flowing in the breeze. She caught her stride. She was coming around there. And as I watched her, man, tears just started rolling down my cheeks because I had a flashback. And the flashback was to when she was a baby. It was, she was just coming up on her third month birthday and Joan pointed out to me one day she said look at her left leg and she was laying on her back and that left leg was just pumping away she said, now look at her right leg and it was just motionless she wasn't moving her right leg I said oh that's weird so her third month the doctor's appointment was uh, just days away and we made a mental note they mentioned that to the doctor see if you know it is anything so when we went in he said yeah, we probably need to take a look at that. So they, they went and they took uh, some x-rays. And he came in and he stuck the x-rays up on, on the, 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 the lighted lamp in the room. And he said, let me show you what's going on here. Now here's the left hip socket here. Uh, that's the way it should look. Here's the right hip socket. You can clearly see that hip bone is out of the socket. And he, he pointed everything. He says it's called congenital hip dislocation. It happens in babies like this a certain percentage of time. He gave us the statistics. And uh, he said uh, there's, there's, it's not going to correct itself. He said, I can push it back in there, but it'll keep coming out. He said, you've really got uh, two choices. One, to have surgery, have her have surgery to put that back in and fix it, or she's going to have a problem with it the rest of her life. I can tell you, we, we left that office and drove home crushed. It was like, those are our two choices? You know, to have our three-month-old baby go through hip surgery or 
deal with the fact that she's going to have a problem with it her whole life? So how, how do you make that decision? And uh, we wrestle just uh, in turmoil over the next few days, you know, t- telling our family about it and friends. Well, it turned out Joan had I talked to her parents and her mom. Her parents were living in Chicago at the time. We were in Akron, Ohio, uh, youth pastors in the church. And uh, she told her mom, and her mom had a doctor, her own doctor's appointment. Somehow the conversation came up with her doctor in Chicago, and uh, he said, um, oh, that's interesting. He said, I have a, I have a, clo- a colleague and a close friend who is a, a a highly renowned specialist in congenital hip dislocation. In fact, so much so, this is the guy that goes around to other hospitals and teaches other doctors uh, how to deal with this stuff. He is one of, if not the best, one out there. And guess where he lives? Akron, Ohio. Well, this doctor wasn't accepting any new patients. He was far too busy for that. But he said, I'll call, I'll call him and see if he will take a look at your granddaughter. And he did. Shortly, we got a phone call from that doctor's office saying, we'd like to schedule an appointment for you to come in. So we are ecstatic but nervous at the same time. And Joan is saying to me, what are we going to do if he just tells us the same thing? You know, how, how are we going to make this decision? I, I have no idea, but let's spend a few days. So we spent a couple of days just fasting and praying and asking God to give us some direction in this whole thing. We're just so distraught over it. And during that time, I felt as though God said to me, witness to the doctor. And I went, seriously? I don't want to do that, especially not this doctor. You know, is there any, what's plan B? (laughs) And then I came to the conclusion, I don't know for sure that this is God talking to me, but if it is, for Melissa's sake, I'm going to try not to mess this up. So the day of the appointment, we took her in, and eventually the doctor came into the office, and he said, so what's going on? And I said, well, we've been to this other doctor, and this is what he told us. And by the way, we brought the x-rays along with us. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, we were hoping to get a second opinion, and we're just thrilled that you're willing to see us. Thank you so much. And, uh, and, and then I snuck it in. I said, you know, we're Christians, and we just believe in, in God, and we want to give him a chance to do something in this situation. So, but it's so nice to have you look at her. And that was it. Man, I was done. I said, thank you. I got it out. And uh, so he, he, he was very accommodating. He just looked at me, smiled a little bit, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. Let's go take some, uh, some fresh x-rays, and, uh, and then we'll talk. So I, followed, I picked up Melissa, followed him down the hallway, and uh, I laid her on this little glass x-ray table. They were used to doing this for babies. Laid her down there, and they had the thing over top of her to, to shoot the radiation down. And I stepped behind a wall just before the girl hit the button to take the x-ray. Melissa let out this yelp. It was so uncharacteristic. In fact, Joan is in the, still in the office way down the hall, and she hears us, and she's going, what was that? It was just so odd. So, and... Uh, so I, I jumped back out there, and I tried to comfort her, and she settled down really fast, went back behind the wall. They took the picture, picked her up, and she was fine after that. We waited for the doctor to come back in. He came in with two sets of x-rays, the one that we had brought with us and the one that they had just taken. He puts the first set up on the lamp, and he told us everything that we already knew, pointed, pointed out. He said, this is the one that we just took. And uh, he said, see the difference there? 
that right hip bone is in the socket exactly where it needs to be. And uh, he said, um, there's no guarantee. He said, I don't know how that happened. There's no guarantee it's going to stay there. Um, but we need to keep an eye on this. He said, for right now, um, it's as good as I would want it to be. Let's just hope for the best. He punches me in the shoulder, and he says, hey, maybe the big guy's looking out for you up there. And then he said this. He said, I'll tell you what. If you'll bring her back in 30 days so I can check on her again, I won't charge you for this visit. Okay. I know how we're going to pay for this anyway, to be honest with you. But what he was saying is, hmm, I wonder if this is going to last. So Joan took her back in 30 days later, next appointment. Looks at her. Hey, it looks great. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you'll bring her back in 30 days, I won't charge you for this visit. Deal. That happened for six months. If you'll bring her back again in 30 days, I won't charge you. We never paid a dime. We never did anything in addition to that. And so this is what I'm thinking. I'm reflecting on this as Melissa's running around that track. It was a moment. It's 37 years old now. Never had a problem with it. And I, I, I assure you, I'm... I mean, I can, I can almost hear somebody sitting there going, well, good for you, because it didn't work out that way for me. And I just want to say this. I'm, I'm not a miracle worker. I've prayed hundreds of prayers for things like that that got no results that I could see whatsoever. And I can't explain why God does it sometimes and why he doesn't do it other times. But I can just tell you, he shows up from time to time. And we need to keep our hearts open to what God's going to do because the one thing that matters out of all of it is that we maintain this fearless confidence in God and his ability to do what needs to be done. So sometimes it involves that supernatural favor, God showing up and showing off. One more point, that is uh, fearless confidence comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be serving communion, you can feel free to slip out and prepare for that. Last verse of the story, 431. While they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. Was it an earthquake? Maybe. I don't know. I do know this. They believe that God was present. Probably thinking back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, when he was in the temple praying and God's presence was so real, there was a trembling that took place there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. It really gets us to that point where without that work of the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble. In Acts chapter 2, we read that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's how they got to Acts chapter 3 where Peter was saying to the layman, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. And it's how they stood before the high priest in the Sanhedrin and they spoke to the, to the point that, th- that those guys were sitting there going, what amazing boldness these guys had. Where did it come from? It got them to that point, and then the threats, which endangered their fearless. Maybe, maybe they lost it at that point, or at least they knew that uh, it was slipping away, and they're praying again, God, renew that. Send another miracle, another story for us to talk about. And then the Holy Spirit came, filled them again, and they were filled up with that fearless confidence. And you can trace it back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where Jesus said to them, I'm getting ready to leave you, 
and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. This is your mission. I want you to talk about this message. I want you to tell people about me. I want you to tell them about the crucifixion and the resurrection, that I'm alive. I want you to tell them that I'm their, I'm their Savior. I'm going I'm to make an eternity for them. And uh, just get that message out there. Start right here in your hometown of Jerusalem. And then let it spread out to Judea and on out to Samaria. And let the ripple take it to the ends of the earth. But... Don't even start. Don't tell the first person. Don't take the first step until the Holy Spirit comes out. You just wait right here until that Holy Spirit comes because you can't do the job without Him. And they did that. Acts chapter 2, they're in that upper room. Remember the 120 of them, Holy Spirit came. And that's where the fearless confidence began. It's in the Holy Spirit. Folks, He'll do it again today. Whatever you're going through, you need that fearless confidence. Uh, here's a story that will help you understand how you can get to that point of fulfilling that need. God's got something for you to do. He's going to help you to get there. Let's pray together. Before we receive communion, I just want to ask if you're here this, here this morning and you know that you need Jesus in your life, maybe you walked in the door questioning that, but even while you're here today, You've come to that conclusion, you know, I need something beyond myself. And I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus because it comes down to that. He wants us to believe in him, believe that he died, that he rose again, he's alive today, that he, he paid the price for our sins, that just by his grace, he can remove all of that. And we're, we're righteous in God's eyes and that we're going to be we're going to be alive with him forever in heaven. Just believe. Just believe in Jesus. You're here this morning. You're ready to take that step. just want to have a moment of prayer before we move to communion. Would you slip your hand and say, Pastor Steve, that's me. Please pray. I want to receive Christ into my life today. Can I pray with you before, before we move on? Just anywhere, you slip up your hand. Today's my day. I'm receiving Christ into my life. Let's pray together. Lord, you've called us all to do something that's going to make a difference in our world, at least in someone else's life other than our own. And you are the one who empowers us to do that. And I pray that power would rest on each person so we can go out of here and accomplish the mission that you've, you've assigned to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.